Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Join us as um, myself, Al, and my co-host, D-Vase, here as we recap a truly action-packed week in Mormon news by concluding our seven-part analysis of the FX miniseries Under the Banner of Heaven that's been streaming on Hulu. They finally released the the wrap-up episode uh, this last week, and I'll tell you all about that later. We then get to the bottom of the hashtag bomb talk Mormon mom swinging scandal and follow up on the church's response to the Ovalde, or sorry, Uvalde, Texas school shooting and ruminate about the General Relief Society president Bonnie Corden's mystifying parable of the hardened bread. We investigate if Obi-Wan Kenobi could have been an LDF's prophet and much, much more. Hey, welcome, uh, D-Bays. And uh, do we have any uh, recaps or follow-ups from last week? Yes. Hey, uh, it's great to be here. This is a Mormon News Roundup, June 4th, 2022, episode number 10. And we do have some follow-ups from last week. And uh, we want to start with the Elder Bednar. Uh, we have follow-up. We covered his uh, press club uh, briefing there pretty well. But what I thought was interesting, what I wanted to follow up on is his million versus billion uh, gaffe. Now, remember, he was asked about Enzyme Peak and the investment arm of the church. And mm-hmm. that, that fund has over $100 billion in it. And he responded by saying, well, I don't think it's a hundred million. And there was some controversy about whether he was talking about million or billion. Now in the Deseret News article, Al, in the church mm-hmm. newsroom, they uh, they put a little uh, parentheses around the word million and they changed it to billion. But what mm-hmm. I found was interesting was that in the actual church's YouTube account, they actually dubbed in the updated audio and showed that Elder Bednar actually yeah, said billion. Take a look at the stock market. I don't think it's a hundred billion. Did that come through okay? That's a hard B that he says. (laughs) They updated it in the actual YouTube comment. Of course, as with a lot of things with the church, when they change things around on you, Mm -hmm. they don't really indicate that there was a change or there's no asterisks or there's no real um, indication. Why why, why bring any attention to it, right? Let's just fix it and move on. Yeah, fix it, <laughs> move on. And if you hadn't uh, watched his first broadcast, you never would have known that he changed it to billion. So, yes, mm-hmm. uh, we discussed that. We did uh, dissect that in, pretty well in depth last week. Yeah. And yes, he really did mean billion. I just also wanted to follow up. We talked about last week how the church's uh, Elder Bednar talked about the church's humanitarian efforts last mm-hmm. year and that the church uh, gave about $56 million in humanitarian aid. And we were wondering, well, if the church has so much money, um, how come it doesn't do more with humanitarian aid? And we, I found a passage in Dallin Oaks, the Lord's Way book back in, uh, uh, that, that, that discussed the church's priorities when it's using their funds. And the priorities, what were the priorities according to Dallin Oaks' uh, the Lord's Way book, Al, from last week? Okay, so from what I recall, this was, I, didn't, I haven't read the book, but let me tell you, uh, he said that the church likes to focus on things that the rest of the world can't focus on. So the church uh, focuses on things like priesthood and providing temples, um, and then lets the rest of the world worry about the humanitarian aid and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and ministering to the sick, and et cetera, et cetera. That is correct. Focusing on temple and missionary endeavors. And I said yeah. that the book was printed in 2000. I would like to correct the record from last week. It was printed in 1991. I do also want to talk about Elder Bednar's, uh, the, the YouTube uh, 
excuse me, the YouTube channel, the church's YouTube channel, when mm -hmm. you put in comments in that channel, Al, every single last one of those comments is a positive comment. Oh, yeah. Those comments are highly curated. Mm -hmm. They won't even tolerate even a mediocre comment that said, you know, I thought Elder Bednar did an okay job. If you wrote that in there, it probably wouldn't survive the editing. I'm pretty sure that the church would consider that statement to be anti-Mormon literature. Right. So unless you're really, if you go back and look at it, unless you have an effusive praise, every one of them, we're grateful for you. We love you. Your yeah. message is timely. You did a great job. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no criticism that is brokered or tolerated in those uh, in that comment section whatsoever. And that is very common for many of the church's accounts, but though not all yeah. of them, not mm -hmm. all of them. True. So their Twitter accounts, so the, the church maintains 17, I believe it is 17 official church Twitter accounts, the 15 apostles, then the church mm -hmm. itself, and I think the presiding bishop. They do allow for uh, negative comments in their Twitter account, but not in their YouTube account. Wow. So I, I don't know what the difference is, but... Yeah, that's... Uh, um, you got me. I, I, I'm coming up with nothing. Yeah, so I, it makes me yeah. wonder why they, they don't allow criticism in some platforms, but in other platforms they do. So it's just yeah. it's a little bit interesting to me. Now, uh, we also talked about last week about that tr uh, tragic uh, Uvalde, uh, Texas shooting, right, Al? That's right, yeah. Uh, yes. we, we spent a lot of time on that last week. We do. We did spend a lot of time. We really talked a lot about the church's response over the years when it came to guns. And I just want to yeah. talk about Ryan Burge once again, that uh, famous mm -hmm. uh, researcher, uh, I believe he's a, a professor at the University of Illinois, I believe it is. But he put out a tweet that talked about um, – we talked last week about what the church's response could be to the gun crisis and how leadership seems to be uh, lacking, right, Al? Yeah. I mean this is a church that claims to be the one and only true church on the face of the earth that speaks directly between God and man. Right. So mm -hmm. if you look at Ryan Birch, he put out a tweet a couple of days ago, and I, I just want to read this tweet to you, get your reaction. We're following up from last week. It says that 14 mm -hmm. out of 16 religious groups favor a ban on assault rifles. The two that don't, white evangelicals and Latter-day Saints. Oh, wow. So <laughs> Latter-day Saints are, as we discussed earlier, are among the most gun-toting of all religious people in the United States, and they are really not in favor of assault ban, uh, uh, banning assault rifles. In fact, the, 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 the share of uh, Latter-day Saints who favor banning assault rifles has fallen from 49% in 2013 to only 37% in 2021. Wow. There's, a, there's even uh, that kind of polarization going in amongst the ranks. Yeah, so it makes me wonder, is this the reason that the church is quite silent on the gun epidemic? We, we discussed how Elder Bednar last week uh, said that his thoughts and prayers were with the victims, but really offered no leadership or, or anything in concrete. Is it because Latter-day Saints are so gun-toting and so uh, anti-bans? Is that why they don't want to wade into the controversy? It, it certainly could be. Um, I know that uh, Latter-day Saints are extremely pro-freedoms. So like when the church came out and encouraged people to get the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, a lot of people left the church over that. They were yeah. upset. Yeah. So yeah. I, I could see that the church doesn't want to poke that hornet's nest any more than they have to. So. Yeah. You could be right. A lot of people did leave, leave over COVID, and that seems like mm -hmm. it's less controversial than guns. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is a change um, that's been very subtle and slow over the years because uh, like you said, there was um, 49% that used to be, I mean, basically 50-50 mm -hmm. uh, we were in the church. And um, 
yeah, there was uh, the church hasn't always been that way. No, it hasn't. The church seems to be, um, you know, as as the membership. I, I think that that you, in in the future of the church, what what I think you'll see is a smaller church in proportion to the global population, but a more fervent church, a more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say the word fanatical, but a more dogmatic. I think that's what you're going to see in the future. That's my yeah. humble prophecy. Okay, that, that that makes sense. That's a good word for it. Yeah, and I also found uh, someone someone posted this. They they found an old uh, D- uh, Daily Herald, which is a, mm-hmm. a Daily Herald on Monday, July third, nineteen ninety six, from mm-hmm. President James E. Faust. This was when he was in the first presidency. He gave a uh, he gave a talk down there at BYU at the annual Freedom Festival. You know, that's the fourth of big Fourth yeah. of July festival. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. the keynote speaker um, for that Freedom Festival. And of course, he was one of the he was one of the few Democrats, uh, as you know, Al, that achieved a high position, uh, open, openly, openly uh, avowed Democrat. There may be some sleepers out there, but I think he's the highest Democrat that the church has ever had. For sure. Yeah. Um, and maybe he was the last one that that uh, we'll see for a while, because I, I don't know that we've had one since, have we? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that we. No one in the in the ranks of the apostles that I'm aware of mm-hmm. is left at all. I mean, they're all yeah. really, really far right. But what I want to talk about his his comment here is he said he urged Americans. He said, "quote in this in his address, quote I seriously doubt if the framers of the Constitution intended that children would be bringing guns to school. Does the right to bear arms include a citizenry where some are armed with automatic assault weapons?" End quote. Ooh. What do you think he's trying to? Um, what What is he asking? What What, what do you get from that, Al? I, I'll tell you that last statement or that last question um, does not sound like a question. It sounds like a statement. It's a rhetorical question that he's asking. Um, that the founders did not intend for children to be bringing guns to school, and that's uh, you know that's actually uh, more prophetic than a lot of things I've seen coming out of Salt Lake City. That you know, yeah, we do have a lot of kids taking guns to school nowadays. And that's one of the arguments um, that I've heard from, uh, you know, uh, the NRA and the gun toting right is, well, you know, we need to bring more guns into schools, not less, as a way to combat it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're getting from his statement that he, he's not really in favor of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. You know, assault weapons in general, especially not automatic not assault weapons. So he's asking yeah. the question, but he's doing it in such a way that he's just asking the question. Instead, what he's really saying is, that's my position. And, and that's yeah. my feeling, too. Uh, you know, having followed James Faust, I was a big fan of uh, President Faust. I think mm-hmm. he was uh, a really honorable person. So um, I, I, I always liked him because he had the exact same voice as the narrator from the Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, um, that that's good. Now, there's one last thing that I want to bring up with a follow up from last week, and that's on guns too, because this gun thing is it's not it's not going away, it's not dying down. Uh, there was mm-hmm. another tragedy just this last week in uh, yeah. in Buffalo. Was it in Buffalo? Uh, I believe uh, it was somewhere in New York. Uh, you know, unfortunately, no, they are all... this was another school, though. Yeah, it's, they're all just running together. But I found um, mm-hmm. this tweet from uh, I found this tweet which somebody put together a mm-hmm. statement that they wish the church would make on gun violence. So I want to read it. It's from David Osler uh, at mm-hmm. Irregular David, and he said, "I wish the church would speak out about gun violence." Here's a draft press release if they need something to start from. <laughs> As religious mm-hmm. leaders, we speak about 
Uh, we speak out when moral issues affect our communities and families, and gun, gun violence is one such issue. So here's his statement. It's pretty short, mm -hmm. but I thought that it was incredibly accurate. He tweeted it on June 3rd. He said mm -hmm. this was his draft statement that the church leaders could could use. Yeah. In recent weeks, there have been mass shootings in schools, hospitals, shopping centers, and churches. Innocent people, including children, die. Families are ripped apart and communities fracture. The causes for these shootings are diverse, but there's always a gun involved. We call upon citizens and politicians to unite and find ways to, number one, eliminate private ownership of military-style assault weapons. Number two, provide reasonable background checks on gun purchases. Number three, Implement red flag laws to remove guns from dangerous individuals. And number four, we call upon politicians to fund public and mental health research and programs to understand and cure societal reasons for our culture of violence and hatred. We ask LDS members who hold political office to prayerfully set an example by setting aside partisan politics and find ways to solve and address these issues. The gospel of Jesus Christ is one of peace and that in eternity we will find love, peace, and redemption. But we also need to believe that we need to work today to find peace and heal our divides, end quote. How's that first statement? You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that statement. I think that uh, anybody could slap their name to that. And, I mean, it, it might uh, take off the people that are uh, convinced that the government's coming for their guns. But other than that, I mean, all this is, is it's just about let's do something to try and preserve human life. Anything. Yeah, I mean— he, he's suggesting three things, which seem pretty reasonable. And uh, yeah. number one, uh, private ownership of military style assault weapons. Um, mm -hmm. We had an assault weapons ban back in the 90s. And I know the data is pretty split on that as to whether it actually worked or not. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, that seems pretty reasonable. Number two, provide uh, background checks for gun purchases. Close those so-called uh, gun show loopholes and some of the other loopholes that just make sure everybody goes through a background check. And number three, yeah. let's do red flag laws now to remove guns from dangerous individuals. That means you need to, you know, do uh, checks on people who currently have guns, make sure they're not mentally insane. Well, sure. And, you know, we have all this information already that uh, uh, the NSA, they've been recording all this stuff and storing it all in uh, their facility down in Tooele, uh, Utah. So well, just sift, would... sift through that. Let's find the, the people that are a little <laughs> unhinged and make sure that they don't have, um, you know, some boomsticks to feel their, their rage or to use their rage, take their rage out with. Yeah. Well, using the using the NSA to for that purpose, mm -hmm. I think, would be a um, significant constitutional hurdle. Mm -hmm. I think you would have a lot of people up in arms. But I just, you know, that seems like a pretty nice statement. I wish the church, just like David Osler said, it would be nice that the church showed some leadership and put out a statement of something similar that had a call to action for some reasonable steps that we could take. For sure. Um, now, I just want to follow. We, I have a lot of follow ups from last week and just two last follow ups. Now, when we had Christina on two weeks ago. Yeah. He talked about the ex-Mormon uh, TikTok. And I mm -hmm. told her, quite frankly, I wasn't familiar with it and I didn't have it on my phone. So I went ahead and downloaded it. And because I figure, you know, Al, we're, we're trying to find news sources from the church's news sources, Deseret News, Salt Lake Tribune, also from Twitter, from Reddit, and mm -hmm. from the mainstream media. But I realized that a big, and, and also from Facebook, but I realized the gap is, you know, we're not, we're not finding the news articles from TikTok and some of these younger stuff because, you know, I guess we're mm -hmm. a little older. I guess so. I'm I'm getting uh, on in years, but I do love the Tiki Talks. Um, my <laughs> my my wife pulls up the Tiki Talks every night, and we watch uh, these little rabbits and cats dancing around with people, and all kinds of fun things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to see. You know, uh, I looked at the hashtag Mormon and the hashtag ex Mormon, and then the hashtag mm -hmm. LDS. And uh, which one do you think was the most popular out of those three hashtags, Mormon, ex-Mormon, or LDS for a hashtag on TikTok? Um, I'll be really curious to see what the answer to this is. I'm going to go um, 
I'm thinking that probably there's there's probably a, a lot of uh, people, LDS people they're uh, trying to promote the church, so they're doing hashtag LDS. I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. Well, it's interesting that you say that because all of the hashtags that include, say, the hashtag the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's not a very good hashtag. No, you know that's I mean? a terrible hashtag. <laughs> so when you search for that, there's nothing on there because that's an awful mm-hmm. hashtag. So then you get like the mm-hmm. Church of Jesus Christ of LDS, and then you get a, a lot of mm-hmm. other ones. And the thing is, is that the faithful hashtags are really spread out mm-hmm. over a lot of different hashtags, including LDS, Mormon, Church of Jesus Christ of LDS, and a lot of other ones. So True. But when it comes to anti-Mormon stuff, they're pretty mm-hmm. much all coalesced under one hashtag, ex-Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's real easy to find hashtag ex-Mormon, and it's a little harder to find the faithful stuff. But the Mormon hashtag has about a billion impressions. Ex-Mormon has a little under a billion, and LDS actually came in third. Wow. The Yeah, that's that's really something. Which I um, definitely think, Al, is a victory for Satan. I think we can agree I'll, on that. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, our Weird Alma was right that this is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> major victory for satan mm-hmm. um okay so uh w- but we're gonna be following the tiktoks uh i've got it on my phone i'm trying to follow it i'm trying to figure this out i know i'm i know i'm an older white guy but i, I think mm-hmm. i can get into it so g- give me a shot sure. the last the last thing i want to talk about is the mormon history association had a meeting uh this last week in logan june two through five uh you can go to mormonhistoryassociation.org if you want to learn mm-hmm. more about that i wish uh, we had time to go to the, that but just didn't have the time mm-hmm. um if for our listeners out there um drop uh Drop us a like, drop us a subscription uh, wherever you find this podcast and head over to mormonnewsreport.org or drop mm-hmm. us an email at colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. That's K-O-L-O-B at mormonnewsroundup.org with two N's. And we uh, would love to find, uh, you know, find find the uh, the articles or whatever um, news articles that you can find, submit it to us, and we'll be sure to go over it on the show. Absolutely. Any other follow-ups from last week, Al? I think that's it. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll leave all, all this in the show notes. So yeah, uh, definitely that um, Mormon History Association. Uh, go to that link if you're interested in learning more about what happened at this meeting. Yeah. So um, found a lot of, lot of stuff to go through this week. Very exciting week. And we're, um, we're not going to spend too much time on any one article. But the first article here is uh, somebody uh, did a search here for... Uh, for climate, um, this was uh, uh, on the church's website. If you go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you go to the main website, you have a search. There's a search bar where you can search. Mm-hmm. And Jared Farmer, a couple of days ago, tweeted out, Today I gave an address to the Mormon History Association on LDS climate action and earth stewardship, or lack thereof. What would, what would Jesus do? And when you go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and search in the search bar for the mm-hmm. word climate, what happens, Al? Um, I would think... I would hope that they would find something, but actually, from what this Twitter, what this tweets shows, he actually has um, the picture of the screenshot. Uh, nothing, zero results. Your search returned zero results. For yeah, so for, for climate, I mean, this searches all of the general conference talks. This searches all of the new mm-hmm. era. This searches the friend. This searches all the church's publications. I think mm-hmm. all the way back to 1970. This church yeah. searches the church's official policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not, there's not even a mention of climate whatsoever. And this goes back to what we said about last week with guns. The church doesn't provide any leadership whatsoever with guns. No legislation, no leadership is almost silent on the topic. And when it comes to mm-hmm. probably the biggest issue of our day is actually mm-hmm. we, we said it was guns last week, but I actually thought more about it. I think actually climate change is the biggest issue of our day. Sure. Um, yeah. 
maybe even bigger than guns because, you know, all of the people who are going to be displaced and killed mm -hmm. over climate change um, and the church. That's has, all of us. <laughs> yeah, that's all of us. Yeah. Every even day. Even the people that don't own guns are affected by that. Yeah. And there's just no, nothing on climate, nothing on global warming, uh, nothing on any yeah. of that. Well, how, how can that be explained? Well, I don't understand because, you know, uh, according to LDS doctrine, when uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, God gave Adam dominion over the earth to be a steward over it, to take care of it and to, you know, look after it. So how come we're like, I mean, this may not be the biggest uh, uh, commandment from heaven, but it's definitely one of the first. And how, yeah, come, how come that's not a big deal? Yeah, multiply and replenish the earth and then be a steward was like right afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is really one of the first fundamental commandments from the Garden of, e the Garden of Eden. <laughs> That's a really good point. And so how are we to be good stewards? When there's being a good steward of the earth, one of the biggest parts of being a good steward of the earth is to prevent our, you know, a, a catastrophic a greenhouse effect from taking over the earth. Yeah. What, what are we supposed to do to be good stewards when we search for climate? And there's nothing on the church's website for it. Um, I, guess, I guess we can pray. But it seems like, yeah. you know, that's the problem. With climate change, it requires a unified global response. You can't yeah. just have individual prayers of different people think different things. You need a unified global response. Yeah, and, and we need leadership in this. And that's exactly what the church is supposed to be, is the leader of the world. It's supposed to lead us into doing the right thing. So... You know, is it because it's too political? We've already talked, Dives, that the church has no problem delving into politics when it's uh, regarding people's genitals. But, you know, with this, this is something that's fundamental to everybody, and there's not a lot of leadership there. No. I mean, uh, are we supposed to have a carbon tax? Are we supposed to uh, ban uh, gas vehicles so that make everybody drive an electric vehicle? Are we supposed to, uh, you know— uh, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to not trade with uh, countries that have uh, cold, cold fire power plants because they're they're ruining the environment? Well, I mean, what are we supposed to be doing? There's there's absolutely nothing there really for us to um, to, to sink our teeth into. I thought that that was interesting because it's the same with guns. Yeah, for sure. It's a little disappointing. Um, so anything else on that uh, climate change, Al? No, let's keep moving on. Okay. Now, the next thing, is, which I thought was interesting, is the church in California, because there's a law that was passed recently requiring mandatory background checks for church leaders and volunteers serving children, there's a, a new uh, background check that the church is going to be running people through. And it's in response to California's bill, which is called AB 506. Mm -hmm. And somebody posted the letter from the area presidency to current state presidents and other people that says that... Um, California law related to one-time background checks and fingerprinting for youth and leaders uh, and their volunteers who are interacting with youth, and they're going to be scheduling a mobile live scan service to come to the church members at no cost on a certain date, and please uh, please go ahead and get those background checks. And it says that the who is supposed to get those background checks? That's bishoprics, okay. ward primary workers, young men, young women's leaders, advisors, camp directors, seminary teacher, and anyone else who may be working with youth or children. Good. This is a big positive step forward, right, Al? I, I would think so. This yeah. is something that should have been in place long ago. Yeah, you wonder, why does it take a law for something that seems so common sense mm -hmm. for the church to move on something that's so common sense, that's mm -hmm. protecting children, vulnerable children from sexual abusers? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we talked about this in one of our previous episodes, that the guy, that, uh, sex, the, the, guy the sexual predator yeah. in Minnesota who was appointed to a position, and then he ended up reoffending, and it's because Minnesota does not have a law 
for mm-hmm. ecclesiastical leaders to go through a background check, but now California is rectifying their system. So the church will give background checks to people in states. If your state requires a background check for clergy members, mm-hmm. then the church complies with that. If the church, if there's no law on the books that says that you have to have a background check and you're a church leader, then the church does not do anything. Ooh. Once again, it's just something that the church really ought to be the leader in this instead of what it's being right now. Yeah, and we talked about this in one of our previous episodes. These lawsuits can be millions of dollars. A background check is like 20 bucks tops. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's too easy. You know, yeah, sure. uh, Al, I worked at BYU a long time. I worked at BYU, I want to say, for about – I worked for the church slash BYU for 20 years before they background checked me. Wow. Mm-hmm. They only background checked me when I had a few years left. Uh, you know, I worked part-time or full-time for the church for 24 years, and I had worked for 20 years before they made me do a background check. Well, how are they supposed to know if you're gay? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That that was a little bit of a jag. jag. I shouldn't have done that. That was was below the belt. That was a low blow. That was. Al, I'm in in the military reserves, and there's Uh no policy. It's called don't ask, don't tell. Okay, Al? Okay, fair enough. No. (laughs) I I guess the the church is adopting that? No, the church is not adopting that. The church definitely asks. (laughs) No. Well, they'll ask if they're required to, but if they're not required Uh to, they do a don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, this was effective January 1st, 2022. It's a screening process. It, you know, for all nonprofits, churches, schools, daycares, everything else, everyone's required to do a live scan. Yeah. And all the churches are complying with it, not, not just the church. So, you mm-hmm. know, I call on the church to uh, do background checks for everyone, whether it's required to by the law or the country that res- they reside in, forget the state, whatever mm-hmm. country that you're in, just do yeah. a background check. Absolutely. Because it's the right thing to do. I mean, at the very least, you're not going to catch everyone, but you're going to catch people who have previously offended. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily absolutely positively have to remove that person from their calling, although that should be the vast mm-hmm. majority of people should be removed. I don't know if something sure. happened 70 years ago. Uh, I, I don't know. Is it possible for someone to, you know, uh, repent from that and move on? You know, I would like to think that there is. I think the vast majority mm-hmm. of people who fail a background check should be removed. I mean, the vast, vast, vast majority. But yeah. let's see. Uh, you're a military guy. Isn't there a trust but verify uh, thing in the military? Yeah. Well, that was old Ronald Reagan and the Soviet Empire. Yeah, that's right. The Soviet Empire was trust but verify. Well, let's do that. Let's trust them. And then we're going to also put a partner uh, or co-leader in there with them at all times to make sure nobody's ever a one-on-one. You know, and that's a good point. Trust and verify. Go ahead and trust in the prayers that you prayed that this guy was supposed Mm -hmm. to be the right person for the calling. And then go ahead and verify. Trust trust the person, trust the prayer, and then verify him. Sure. No problem. Let's do it all. It's not hard. At least I don't think it's hard. No, it's not hard. Um, what about the, uh, Al, can you take us to the next article? Yep. Next article from popcrush.com. We have this popular Mormon TikToker alleges her entire friend group hooked up with each other. Now she's getting divorced. Um, so you might, you guys might have heard about this. What, what, what they call her the hashtag mom talk is what they call her. And she and her husband have come out saying, yeah, we got involved in swinger parties, but it was soft swinging. Um, and so soft swinging, I guess, is, well, there's there's no nudity. I don't know. No, no, what is that even? It's soft, okay, soft swinging. <laughs> okay, this is, we're going to get the explicit rating on this if we go into too many details. But basically, soft swinging is that you can do anything you want with someone else as long as you don't go all the way. 
Oh. Okay. So anything else is above board. Okay. So, you know, basically it's, uh, this is kind of like, uh, as long as you got a Book of Mormon space between you at the, you know, church dance, right? No, you don't need a Book of Mormon space, Al. I mean, that's... Oh, we're no, talking you, about, you, you just have to not go all the way. <laughs> now, all you got to do is not go to fourth base, and then anything uh, else is good. All right. So, yeah, she got... Uh, or This whole thing came out, and um, she's been a big uh, big Mormon mom that's all about uh, TikTok, and now all of a sudden this is a huge scandal. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's there's some weird people out there, and... I'm not really one to kink shame so much, but this is something where it, it's extremely hypocritical. You can't, you know, in one face that you put forth for the world, say that you are very stalwart and staunch, uh, you know, conservative and uh, religious and, you know, sexual morality, but then have a completely other uh, face that you put out to the world as well, where you get all of your friends together and swap spouses for a while and, you know, have a great time in an orgy that never goes all the way to orgy. <laughs> yeah, she said she ended up getting a divorce from Taylor here. Uh, <clears throat> Taylor Frankie Paul ends up getting a divorce. Yeah. They're getting divorced from her current husband, which is Tate Taylor. And she got her start as an Instagram model, which is the reason that she has 200,000 followers and that we don't. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the reason. Yeah. The well, uh, she, she's a fairly good looking girl. You know, yeah. um, she, I, I, my, my wife is uh, more my type, but uh, yeah, she's a, uh, these, these guys, they look like a, a fairly good looking young couple. Yeah, they sure do. They, they, they're very Instagram. That's why she has so they're very Instagrammable. Yeah. Yeah, and so now they're getting a divorce because um, she went too far beyond the agreement that they had together. She so, went too far, so now they're getting a divorce. You know, that, that's kind of the problem with soft swinging is it, uh, it's a fine line between fries and shakes, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't even, it becomes hard swinging. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, and I'm not sure that I want to know what that uh, means. I, I just pulled that from the Chappelle show. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what it means, but um, you know, does this just is this a purity culture thing? Okay, are we just prudes because hey, you know, the idea that everyone needs to be totally monogamous with their partners and all that other stuff is is that a vestige of patriarchy? Is that uh, you know an uh, uh, 18th century vestige, or why can't you just have open marriages and, and everybody's fine with it was all consensual? They're all adults. What's the problem? Uh, well, that, it's like I was saying that I don't think I think that the big issue that I take with this is it's extremely hypocritical. I don't think that it's a matter of uh, slut-shaming, kink-shaming, whatever you want to call it. I, I think, you know, two consenting adults can do whatever they want. Um, you know, when those consent, even, you know, to the extent of swinging, sure, you know, as long as everybody in the parties consult or consenting and on board. But this sounds like uh, something that just, they were playing with fire. I mean, what what is this? I mean, this is kind of, it's like that whole uh, soaking craze, right, that, that went around for a while. At BYU students, they like to soak because then it's moral as long as there's no thrust. But, you know, this is it's kind of bullcrap. <laughs> 
Well, it reminds me of that earlier article that we went through of that mm-hmm. uh, girl who was um, she was on OnlyFans. Remember, I can't remember. Yeah, her name. The, the, the OnlyFans mom that was yeah, that was LDS and the Mormon OnlyFans mom. I can't yeah, remember. The, it's the same thing. I can't remember her name, but yeah, she. Uh, uh, it, it was just really like you're you're out there putting yourself out to the world is one thing, but then behind the scenes, you're like, oh well, you know, this is. The, the way we really are behind everything, we just throw all that, uh, all that self righteousness, all that you know, uh, uh, the purity culture that just goes right out the window as soon as the doors are closed. <laughs> well, it's I think it's like what you said. People are trying to cash in on the name Mormon, honestly, because they know if they label themselves as a Mormon who's on OnlyFans or a Mormon who does swapping or a Mormon who is a Instagram model. They know yeah. that that's going to drive traffic to them in a way that if they didn't label themselves that, the traffic wouldn't be there. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah, and, and, and it's that whole thing. It's the juxtaposition of it, right? Yeah. And so – and most of the – I'm, I'm going to go out here on a limb here. You know, yeah. I can't I can't soul read uh, Taylor Frankie, but I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. guess here that she was not the most um, – that she's not a Relief Society president and that she's probably not, not the most devout uh, uh, a member of the church out there. You know, she strikes me as well. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know anything about this girl. I was going to say that she strikes me as being the kind that uh, swings by Starbucks during the week. But uh, you know, uh, yeah, she might be playing a little loose with uh, church teachings. That's fine. Yeah, uh, you know, it's up to her. Uh, but still, this is if you're going to use the church's name to get yourself, uh, you know, you, you if you're going to use the church's name then, you know, represent the church in the way that, according to the church's teachings, don't sit there and say, well, I can do this, and yet I'm still a member. And I think one of the first ones, there was a, a girl that uh, got um, baptized that had tons of tattoos, and she was one of the first, like, you know, uh, I think she was actually on um, uh, one of those uh, I Am a Mormon uh, campaign ads. Um, but, yeah. Like it was, it was one of those things. Oh, the church teaches so strongly against getting tattoos, and yet she was like, oh, "I'm covered in tattoos, and I'm a Mormon." And it was, well, I, it, it was shocking, you know. <laughs> I don't think you in the "I Am a Mormon" campaign. I don't think that you'd say, "My name is Frankie Paul. I do soft swinging, and I'm an Instagram model, and I'm a Mormon." I don't think, I don't think yeah. you're going to see that one. No, that, that just that there's a reason why the church doesn't promote those types of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, this is all over the news. It looks like she deleted her account after this was all done. I wonder what is going to happen now that she's basically admitted that she cheated on her husband. Uh, certainly her, uh, bishop and her stake president, I'm sure, uh, if they don't already know who she is, I'm sure the strengthening church members committee is forwarding a, a large dossier onto their desks as we speak. Well, maybe circuit city's hiring. I, I don't know. Oh, oh, wait. No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Um, Now, our next article here is uh, a change.org petition that has just been uh, posted here by Greg Mattson. And this was on uh, creating awareness of BYU professors radicalizing students. Now, Uh, that's a concern. Sure. Oh, okay. I'll, you know, I taught at BYU for quite a while as an adjunct, mm-hmm. mostly as a, either an instructor and as an adjunct faculty oh. member. Well, then and, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, when, when I think of places that can radicalize students, um, mm-hmm. you know, BYU Provo does not jump to the front of the line for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
call me crazy. So this is basically what they, they said. As many have witnessed in person and online, there are several BYU professors who are radicalizing students. This is not just political, but eventually often turn students' ire and passion against BYU and against the church and its leaders. Many of these professors have helped organize protests both at BYU and the church headquarters. The evidence of these events is sound, overwhelming, and growing. Numerous heartbroken, distraught parents have written letters and comments about the radicalization of their kids, signaling a serious problem on campus. Families have so much to guard against. To send a son or daughter to BYU, pay for them, only to have certain professors and administrators just destroy everything those parents have sacrificed and taught for 18 years is tragic. There's a lack of transparency for these students and their parents. We currently have wolves in sheep's clothing uh, taking new adults and spiritually and politically grooming them. We signed this awareness document to further make those in charge aware of this problem. Um, then they include a montage of BYU professors in YouTube, Al. Um, do you think that uh, BYU professors are teaching kids pernicious ideology, radicalizing them politically, activating them and destroying testimonies and fracturing eternal families? Uh, you know, when, when I first saw this, I was thinking, okay, so are they like, right-wing radicalizing them, like tell them, hey, the end of the world's coming, go get yourself a couple of uh, Connex containers and make yourself an underground shelter and fill your bunker full of uh, canned goods and guns and you know, store, uh, barrels of water. That's what, that's what I was thinking. It's more like right-wing radicalizing, but no, they're saying that this is, they're radicalizing them by the, on the left. Are, are they stupid? it's funny that you think you know i think that's the difference between uh, you and me al is that you live out in places where radicalizing is usually people going hard right exactly so they're like oh well our our poor baby we sent them to byu and now they uh, are open to people being lgbtq that's radical yeah, that's the, destroying eternal families, yeah, Al. The, the big scandal when I was at BYU was that the history professors were allowed to wear beards. Um, yeah, so that that was about as radical as they were in my days. <laughs> so yeah, when is... you watch, I watched the B, I watched this YouTube video. I'm just expecting mm-hmm. to hear all of this woke, so-called woke uh, culture. I'm expecting to see people. Uh, you know, talking about, I don't know, church history problems or, or, or things mm-hmm. that are really going to tear people's faith down. Or, and I watched the first half of it, and I, I, I thought I must have been watching the wrong video because I did not see one thing that was radical or destroying testimonies or activating anybody. No. No, it's not. I mean, it, it's – and so I don't – it really makes me wonder why is it that uh, – I mean, how far right-leaning are the people that are sending their kids to school – at BYU, that when their kids come home on spring break, that they're thinking, oh my gosh, my kids are being radicalized. Yeah, at BYU Provo, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for real, do these people sit at home with um, uh, tinfoil hats on because they don't want the aliens <laughs> to read their thoughts? <laughs> I mean, how, how right-wing can you be? <laughs> yeah, you got, you got to be pretty right-wing. You're right. Yeah. If you send your kids to BYU Provo... And they come back radicalized. You got to be pretty far right. Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. <laughs> I mean, BYU is the uh, okay. BYU's claim to fame is that it is a uh, I can't remember. Is it Rolling Stone that rates all the um, the the colleges? And it's been the stone cold stone cold sober school of the entire country for like years and years going back. I mean, this is like as as conservative and as uh, you know, 
uh, pious of a school as you'll find. And yet, uh, yeah, radicalized. <laughs> yeah, I believe that is from the Princeton Review. Uh, That's that, the run, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, I mean... There's just there's there's four thousand eight hundred and nine signatures already so far, and their goal is to get to five thousand. So I assume that they're going to make it. You know, they got people signing this just a few hours ago. So, jeez, uh, oh, you know the the priorities in people's lives. I don't know. I'm <laughs> mystified on this one. I'll just tell you a quick, real quick anecdote from my own life. My my yeah. daughter just finished her first year of college, and she thought about going to BYU. Honestly, she did. She's very devout, and she's mm-hmm. very. She's a, um, you know, she's, she's a great young lady. Mm-hmm. And she said that she didn't want to attend BYU. Uh, she applied to about five schools and she did not apply to BYU. And we um, asked her why. I said, you know, how come you didn't want to apply to BYU? And she says, well, um, you know, I, I feel like I am too far to the left of BYU to go to it because I believe in, you know, LGBT rights and equality for women. And I don't think I like I would fit in at BYU Provo. So I mean, the people that go to BYU Provo, I'm, you know, my daughter goes to the church every single Sunday. Um, she goes to the temple regularly. Fit in, they might burn her as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> so she ended up going. She ended up going to a state school around here. So I mean, uh, good for her. I mean, the people who go to BYU, they're they're. Oh, they're real, I don't know. This this just <laughs> yeah. Well, we gotta be careful what we say because I mean, we both are BYU alums, so. Uh, you know, there's just there is a definitely special kind of atmosphere at BYU that you don't find at other colleges. I'll tell you that. There is. It is a special place. There's mm-hmm. a special feeling at BYU. You know, every time yeah. I step back onto the campus, you know, you get uh, there's a special feeling there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I spent so much time there. I got two degrees there and taught there for many years as well. So I mean, it is a special place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just I'm puzzled by this change.org statement. I, I don't know who's signing these things. Um, I can't imagine who it is. So. Um, yeah. we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, let, let's go on to our next, uh, this is a little bit of a story, but uh, yeah. I just got back, Al, from touring the Washington, D.C. Temple just like an hour and a half ago. Yeah, this is the story I've been waiting for all week, Dives, when you oh, told hey, me last week that you were going. Yeah, well, this is what I've been waiting to hear. <laughs> you, you, you and our 56 subscribers are the only mm-hmm. ones who are going to hear the story. But no. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you're out there, you know, uh, please uh, go, go. We're on uh, uh, Facebook. We're on YouTube. Would you mm-hmm. please drop us a like? Would you please drop us a comment if you're on one of those uh, uh, so that we can hear yeah. from you? But I did tour. We uh, got our tickets for the Washington, D.C. Temple Tour, and we had our tickets for quite a few months. In fact, we were going to have a family reunion, and a lot of my family members were coming in from all across the country. And what was crazy is that my son got COVID about a week and a half ago. Uh, he's fine. He's, um, he's, he's 12 years old. He had triple vaccine. He's in great health. And he only had a small sniffle. I mean, it just really didn't do much to him. Yeah. But, you know, the contamination period was like 10 days, according to CDC, is like 10 days. Yeah. And my family members started showing up about 12 days in. Well, as soon as the first family member got here, he caught COVID for my son. Even oh, though the rest real. of us were testing negative. And as soon as yeah. that family member tested, now we got two people who are semi-positive mm-hmm. for COVID that everybody else canceled. Mm-hmm. So we were all as a family, uh, extended family, going to be going over to the temple, but it just didn't happen because of COVID. Yeah. So just ended up being my wife and four kids. Now, mm-hmm. if you go back and listen to episode number four, you'll realize that my inside sources of the Washington, D.C. temple seem to indicate that the final judgment mural was gone. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the I was on the lookout for it. As soon as you walk in, you go over a causeway, mm-hmm. and then boom, that's where the final judgment mural is. And as soon as I got there, guess what? 
No mural, Al. Final it's Judgment gone. mural is gone. It mm-hmm. really is. Wow. Yeah. So I talked to one of the temple head temple matrons there because the regular members who uh, staff it, they don't they don't know anything. They don't know what's going on. They're just there yeah. for a four hour shift. They go home. They don't really know. But I found the temple matron. I said, what happened to the final judgment mural? And she get, she had a little gleam in her eye because I guarantee you this, Al, not very many people asked her about mm-hmm. that mural. Oh, really? No way. It, there's lots there's lots of pictures and paintings all over. There's got to be 50, 60 yeah. paintings. You, you know what? You, I, that would make sense because I'll bet you most of the people, I mean, on this is one temple and th- this is probably unique, okay? This is one temple where I'll bet people were actually really excited to finally go in and not if they were not LDS, right? Because I think that around Utah, you probably get mostly LDS people that go to the open houses. Without not, question. Yeah. Without question. But around here, it is almost yeah. all members well, the, of other faiths. It, it's such an iconic building, but very few people um, that actually have seen this building from the outside. So I'm sure that it's, you know, you're getting a very, um, what, a, a, a smaller ratio of uh, members to non-members going through this uh, temple open house. So yeah, I'm exactly. sure she was just really excited to finally meet a, a member that remembered that, yeah, there was that uh, mural there. Yes, there was. <laughs> so I said, why are there? She said it was a first presidency decision that all murals in all temples oh. were to be removed a couple of years ago. So That's Al, let me ask you this wow. question. Why would the First Presidency not want any more murals in temples? And this is a very interesting question. I think I might know the answer, but I want to see your thoughts first. Oh, let's see. So, um, I mean, there, there's been tons of different murals in different temples. I mean, this particular one I can understand because you don't want to have a bunch of non-members coming through the temple and saying, oh, here we have Jesus with all the righteous, uh, you know, true believing Mormons on his right hand, and on his left hand, all the rest of the people of the world that are just sinful and uh, wicked and, you know, uh, just lamenting that they didn't uh, find the church in time. But, that, you know, that doesn't put a good face <laughs> for the church when you have a bunch of non-members going through. Um, yeah. I, I maybe it's controversy. I don't. I honestly don't know. What, I, okay. Maybe they're trying to whitewash something. I, I. I don't know. It's curious to me. Okay, so I thought about it. Um, so if you want to know what the final judgment mural is, go back and listen to our episode four. We're not going to describe it in detail here, but yeah. the reason I believe that they don't have many more murals and temples is because those murals cannot be easily taken down. And as people's whims change, as people's appetites change, as we learn more about church history, and as we learn more about, I don't know, how a lot of the church artwork over the years hasn't been exactly accurate and reliable. Mm -hmm. If you have a giant mural that cannot be easily taken down, Mm -hmm. then if something on that is not accurate or something on that was painted poorly— you can't just get rid of it. So mm-hmm. that's why they want everything to be a painting so that any time a First Presidency member comes through, goes through Washington, D.C. Temple, sees a painting and goes, you know what, take that down, they can just do it. Yeah, that that makes sense because, yeah, because, uh, yeah, I mean, those murals were huge. That, yeah. they, were, they were works of art. Yeah, they um, was. Yeah. Um, now, I said, well, where is it now? And they said they archived it. And I said, well, why did they take it down? And she goes, well, let's just say it wasn't the best for diversity. 
Okay, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just real quick, I meditated. I, I we made it to the celestial room. You know, I have my four okay. children with me, my wife. Um, this mm-hmm. is uh, one of the last times. This could be one of the last times we all go to the temple together. I, I don't know when the last time we did it. It's been a number of years, and it may never happen again. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows what will happen in the future? But. I did make it into the celestial room. And of course, I have a lot of memories. Go back to listen to our episode four. I, I yeah. meditated in the celestial room. I said a prayer in the celestial room. And I have to tell you that, you know, if you go back and listen to episode four, I had some divine experiences. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like that divine voice that I had been interacted with back in episode four, it seemed like that divine voice was silenced. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit of a sad, sad tale for me to say. Yeah, for sure. I also I, went to, yeah. So, I also went to the endowment room, lots of memories in that endowment room. And it's interesting when I got to the endowment room, my kids were like, Hey dad, what goes on in here? I'm like, uh, well, uh, it's an endowment room. I mean, endowment I don't know goes on in here. Okay. I, I made a joke that, uh, I made a joke to my son who's 17 years old. And I said, well, oh, this is where they uh, sacrifice the gerbils in here. And he, he thought that was hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Now the seventh floor, the seventh floor was off limits to visitors, which is unfortunate. And so mm-hmm. is the cafeteria. Those are my two favorite floors, by the way. So yeah, because uh, the seventh floor is that the top floor? Yes, top floor. Uh, yeah, with with the giant meeting room, which uh, right. I don't think they build the giant meeting rooms in the in no. the new temples now. No, but my son knew that it was on the seventh floor. He said that one time when he was doing baptisms for the dead there, he snuck all the way up to the seventh floor to see what was up there. So he'd been there before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's. Yeah. Yeah, so he's in on the note. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to say uh, the t- the temple is the ultimate symbol of the church, and it really it provokes is. a visceral reaction to members and non-members alike. Mm-hmm. And I do want to just say one other thing, and that's my brother, who was the one who came out and tested positive for COVID. He mm-hmm. um, he's gay. He left the church when he was seventeen, mm-hmm. and you know this open house is for non-members uh, as well. And yeah. I mean, it is a beautiful building. And we said, you know, do you want to come? I asked him, you know, do you want to come? It's it's public. Uh, and he said, you know, he looks at the temple, even though he never went to the temple. He was 17 years old. He never went. Mm-hmm. He was not endowed, didn't go on a mission. He left the church when he, he realized he was gay. He left the church early because he said this is not a place for gay people to be in. And he, I have to quote what he said. He said that the the, the temple is kind of like an instrument of torture for him because it represents. Oh, yeah. It's not that, the, that, that he had an experience in the temple because he never actually went. He's never been to this temple. But for him, it is a symbol of mental torture so he said i'm not going to attend well that's that's really something um you know i i can definitely identify um both with you and with your brother uh with your uh feelings about things i remember the last time i went through the temple um sitting in the celestial room and feeling like the divine voice was silenced and so i I, that's a such a beautiful poetic way of putting it and I, I think you're right. Um, when it comes to your brother, my heart really goes out to him because I can certainly see where he's coming from there as well. Yeah, definitely a special feeling to be in there. A lot of nostalgia, especially in the celestial room. It's a it's a it's a beautiful place. It has a there's a very spiritual feeling inside of the building, mm-hmm. and and I totally understand why some people have a, a negative reaction to the temple. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that's all I want to say about that temple. Let's yeah. uh, let's let's keep the show going there for, for sure. Well, I I really could, I was expecting like this was going to be like the Patreon interviews, you know, where you're going to uh, share. Uh, all the details of it so and we just don't have the time in this episode but we do have patreon interviews up so okay. head over to patreon uh send us a little bit of money and we're going to give you a deep dive into dbase and al so yeah if we have that available for you as well um moving forward 
the parable of the hardened bread. Okay. So I'm not familiar with this one. Is that in the Bible? This is not in the Bible. This is, this is, uh, well, it's, um, let's see. They, they have the, the standard works and then I guess they have Facebook. So, uh, (laughs) what? I'm thinking that with, with the Mormon scripture hierarchy, this is somewhere between the Pearl of Great Price and the Ensign. Um, so <laughs> that, that might be a little bit of a stretch. Okay, so we have... Um, well, actually, I think she's the Young Women's President. I, 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 in the introduction, I'm sorry, I, I said the Relief Society, uh, General Relief Society President. She's actually the Young Women's President. And she... Um, Oh, bless her heart, as they say in the South. Bonnie H. Gordon. Um, she is uh, She's on Facebook. Um, put, uh, put this post up there with a very staged photo of a loaf of Grandma Sycamore's white bread um, out on somebody's uh, counter. And she's opening. She's got a a slice of bread and it's she says oh it's just the worst thing in the world when you go to make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you find that all that the bread was left uh in an open bag open to the air and it's all dried out um okay now here's something that i well, i'm going to point a couple things out here okay <laughs> she's uh she's found that the braille uh, that the bread has dried out because she lives in utah okay this is a desert dry region so um, we have certain problems here in Utah that you don't have in more humid climates, okay? Um, it takes bread a lot longer to dry out when you're in, say, Hawaii, okay? However, uh, in Hawaii, ice cream melts super fast compared to Utah because Utah's a dry heat and, uh, you know, tropical areas have humidity of a wet heat. So it... Uh, it affects foods different ways. So she's sitting here using this parable, and this is why it doesn't come from the Bible, because I don't, I don't think this is a sort of problem that they would have in the Middle East. Maybe it is, you know. But then again, they had unleavened bread back then, right? It, yeah, it was unleavened bread, and it was uh, supposed to be hard, right? It was supposed to be kind of like you know, stale's not the word, but more crackerish, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have plastics back then to preserve bread, so they used a lot of unleavened bread, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think Bonnie uh, has figured out that she can, um, that that there there are people out there that offer life hacks. So she decided that she's going to offer up her own version of life hacks. And uh, so her version is the parable of the um, hardened bread. And the worst thing in the world, um, much worse than, uh, hardened uh, pieces of bread to make a sandwich with that would just be gross according to her uh, the worst thing is to have a hardened heart and so she has ah. yeah so the parable is how to keep your heart soft just like you keep your bread soft she has four uh, suggestions on how to keep your heart soft she has one suggestion on how to keep your bread soft and the uh, <laughs> The suggestion of how to keep your bread soft is um, a preventative measure that um, everybody has used. I mean, if, if, if you really want to have some groundbreaking um, information out there, Bonnie, I'm afraid you, you got to come up with something that will like rejuvenate dry bread. Okay. And, th- and there are hacks of how to do that too. 
like, you know, microwaving a little bit of water in there it helps to bring it back to life. But um, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she's got four tricks to yep. combat, combat hardening hearts, gracious that, temple attenders, mm -hmm. intentional prayers, expectant miracle seekers, faithful sacrament partakers. Yeah. And, and much this, like, yeah, much this, like the easily tossed aside twisty ties that will save a loaf of bread, it's up to us to use these heart-saving ties to our Savior, Jesus Christ. As preventative measures. So, I, I mean, once the heart has gotten hardened, it sounds like there's no going back. I mean, Wait a minute. according to her parable, I mean, I, it sounds like there's no cure for that because the only uh, things that she offers are preventative measures. Hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, DVS. This is not a good parable. I, I don't I don't like anything about it. Everything about this just screams first world problems to me. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to uh, sit and watch a bunch of Ethiopian kids starving to death and saying, oh, the worst thing in the world is having uh, stale bread that's gone hard to make a peanut butter sandwich with. Really? Now, and this is just <laughs> this was put out just a couple of days after the Uvalde. Uh, that's shooting. right. Yeah. On, on May 29th. Yeah, so it, it's really um, tone deaf. Uh, the timing was not great. The uh, the message isn't great. I mean, the the message is really milk toast. It's it, it's real bland. Well, it reminds me back when I used to teach uh, Sunday school, and also mm -hmm. yeah, I was even in the primary for a brief time. And basically, mm -hmm. every answer there's only three answers that you need to get yourself all the way from when you're in a, a nursery all the way up to when you're a high priest. You only mm -hmm. need to have these three answers in church. And one of those three will get the job done to any question. Number one, yep. go to church. Mm -hmm. Number two, read your scriptures. Yep. And number three is say your prayers and you have an emergency backup, which is number four, just the, Jesus. That's all. Yep. If you have those mm -hmm. four at your command, then you will be able to answer any gospel question that needs answering. And that's basically mm -hmm. what her, uh, but basically what her advice is that's what it seems to be and i i just find it to be mm, this probably should have been given in a talk uh she'd, she'd have a better audience there well you know and this seems like a does this seem like a genuine photo or does this seem kind of staged to you oh, no th this is a very staged photo i mean there's nothing about this lady that says that she um makes her own peanut butter mm -hmm. and jelly sandwiches yeah, I mean, she's in the professional blazer. She's got a full face of makeup. Her hair's mm -hmm. done. This uh, kitchen is immaculate. It also seems like mm -hmm. a pretty wealthy kitchen. Oh, yeah. And her, her, hands, her hands are manicured. I, I doubt that she's uh, you know, delving into peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, there is no peanut butter and jelly in sight. And also, it seems like this is professionally lit as well. This, oh, professionally the lit. The, the, even the look on this bag, okay, they, they have unnaturally rolled the plastic and folded it back over the loaf. So you have these um, perfectly splayed out slices of Grandma Sycamore's white bread. Well, she says that there's nothing worse, but she has a smile on her face when she's looking uh -huh. at it. If there's nothing worse, shouldn't she have a frown on her face? Exactly. And it's not even, it's not even stale bread or dry bread. I mean, this, this bread looks moist. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's it's bending in her hand, right? The way that I, this yeah. doesn't seem very authentic to me. Um, you know, if you compare this to some of Jesus's parables in the Bible, I, mm -hmm. I think the parable of the hardened bread um, uh, yeah. is a little stale. But I'm nah, yeah, exactly. And her, it, it just doesn't translate well. It, it's not very uh, far-reaching. The application of this is pretty narrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. It just strikes me as a kind of a weird post. I, I just, yeah. and if you look in the comments below, 
again, I told you that, you know, the church does curate the, the church oh, curates yeah. their YouTube comments. Mm -hmm. They curates their Facebook comments, but they do. And they curate the desert news and comments, but oh, they, they the one that they don't curate is Twitter. Yeah. And so Facebook, yeah, everything under there is like, oh, thank you so much, uh, Sister Carden. That is just so inspiring. This is exactly the sort of message I needed right now. Like, really? What kind of world do you people live in where this is the message that you needed right now? You know, some people certainly can need the message, but I just wonder why do we have to chop out even even moderate comments? Yeah, you know, for, even for just, real. You know, even just like, um, hey, can you explain this just a little more? Nope, that comment is not going to make it. Or, mm -hmm. um, how, yeah, Sister uh, Sister Corden, can you can yeah. you help me? I'm in Africa. I don't even have bread. No, you're not going to see that comment either. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, I'll take your stale bread. You know yeah. what is the parable of, yeah. of eating the crumbs off of the of the uh, off the mm -hmm. master table? Isn't there a parable for that too? Oh, you know, as I recall, there was a parable about eating crumbs, like uh, that you're sitting there waiting for the crumbs to fall from the master's table. And uh, that this was the one where uh, Jesus uh, talked about, you know, that grabbing people from the lowest and setting them at the highest spot and stuff. I mean, yeah. it was, yeah, it was something. Okay. Um, we've only got a couple last uh, articles yeah. to go through. Let's, which yeah, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, now on LDS Living, we have on May 27th, 2022, five times that Obi-Wan Kenobi reminded us of gospel truths. Mm -hmm. And uh, that LDS Living magazine, that's like a quasi-official uh, uh, publication of the church because LDS Living mm -hmm. was purchased by, uh, I want to say it's Deseret News, which is all under the Bonneville mm -hmm. Communications umbrella. It's basically an unofficial publication of the church. Yeah, for sure. And um, this f five times Obi-Wan Kenobi reminded us of gospel truths. Uh, mm -hmm. um, why is it that Star Wars and the church always seem to get linked together, Al? Why is it uh, I, I don't know. People... Um... Okay, th there is the one theory. Um, let's see, Joseph. Oh, for heaven's sakes! I really need to get my name straight first here. Joseph Campbell at the Hero's Journey. I mean, that that was all about the whole thing. It was very similar. Okay, so when when you have like storytelling and uh, metaphors and myths, um, they use a lot of uh, similar structure. So you know the the Luke Skywalker thing, and you know Mormons have had been jumping on things like oh you know you can tell that. Uh, they, they made uh, Yoda based solely off of Spencer W. Kimball because they look so much alike. I'm like, <laughs> yes, they do. Um, they they kind of do. <laughs> yeah. you know, they got the ears. They got the wrinkly stuff. And, uh -huh. uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, the, the, we, we love stories. And there's you know juicy stories definitely with Star Wars. And, and it's a hero's journey, right? Which, you know, uh, the same thing could be said for the Nephi story or for... You know, even the story of Jesus himself, that, you know, there's heroes journeys that have been sent from a, a land far away or even a foreign planet to come and uh, rescue it. And they have to overcome certain adversities, certain challenges in order to find redemption. You know, and also maybe it's the fact that Star Wars, that there's good and there's evil and there's like nobody that's in the middle. Right. I mean, it's oh, just sure, one yeah. or the other. And maybe it's because the church really looks at it as, you know, we're, it's us against the world. It's mm -hmm. kind of like Luke Skywalker against the universe. Yeah. And it's kind of like the church members against the world. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. I'm taking this too far, but you know, it, I see the it's, parallels. it sure feels that way. I mean, at least. Uh, from my own experience, there's definitely a sense, um, even in the church today, of an us versus them mentality. Yeah, and, and that seems to come through in Star Wars as well, yeah. because it was Luke against everyone, you know, literally. Yeah, yeah for um, real. 
Mm-hmm. So okay, let's let's take a look at these because um, I want to see are these gospel principles? I don't know. Number one, your mm-hmm. eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. End quote. Um, I as soon as I read that, I thought of the three witnesses to the Book uh-huh. of Mormon, and I also yeah. thought of the eight witnesses. Mm-hmm. What well, isn't? Weren't we trusting them in their eyes for those what? testimonies? Well, well, what what are you going to believe, me or what your eyes tell you? You know that that's uh, that's the question here, isn't it? Um, so, you know, when it comes to the three and the eight witnesses, especially Martin Harris laid this out very plainly. Um, one of the original three witnesses, uh, he said that I didn't see the plates with my physical eyes, but I saw it with my spiritual eyes. And so um, there there was two ways of seeing things. Uh, one is visualization and the other is opening your eyes and actually seeing it. And so I, according to the at least what I've read, that's what they uh, did with the the witnesses, the three and the eight witnesses, was a, more of a visualization in order okay, to Okay, so it. maybe that was right. Your eyes can deceive you, don't trust them, because they only saw it with mm-hmm. spiritual eyes. Well, what about Joseph sure. Smith and his first vision? Isn't the entire restoration hinge on Joseph Smith and his first vision and what he mm-hmm. saw in the yeah. sacred grove? Well, for sure. So, I mean, minute, so he saw, uh, you know, he saw, well, in one account it says he saw the Lord, and another, another account that he said that he saw two uh, personages. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that he saw something, mm-hmm. but if your eyes can deceive you, don't trust them, then we shouldn't trust mm-hmm. the first vision. Is that what Obi-Wan um, is trying to tell us? Maybe that's what Obi-Wan is trying to tell us, but uh, definitely uh, don't don't believe any of the um, the things that you, that you hear about the church that are not positive. <laughs> <laughs> that's or, that's so yeah. if your eyes if you come across something with your eyes that shows uh, the church in a not so positive light don't trust that yeah don't believe that ah you know, gotcha. believe, okay. believe what you've always been taught gotcha okay uh, number that's two, more many okay. of the truths that we cling to depend on our point of view that's a gospel principle i thought truth is as it is and as it were and as the, the uh, truth is things that will come to be yeah, this is okay. So, I mean, the church is all about truth eternal, right? And so, you know, this it, it is exactly what that is. Is uh, truth has been the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. Right. So, yeah, um, there is like a modern um, movement of therapy that you know they talk about this a lot and say like couples therapy or family therapy. Um, they're like, well, speak your truth, and so. In some instances, this is exactly right, because there's certain people that they, they only see from their own perspective. So, I mean, there's a difference between saying, well, I'm giving you my perspective of this. And so that's speaking my truth. Um, and even though that may conflict with your truth, all, what that is, is it's the same incident, but I'm just getting a different perspective. Your perspective is going to look different from mine because, you know, you're over there. I'm over here. Uh, that's fair, but, um, yeah, when it comes to the truth, I mean, say I hold up a coin between us, you know, I'm going to see heads, you're going to see tails, you know, we can both say, well, you know, no, this is, this is a heads coin. No, that's a tails coin. But the fact of the matter remains that it is a coin. So, you know, that, that, that doesn't change. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought we were supposed to uh, find the truth. Mm-hmm. As Brigham Young said, if there's any truth that's in the world, it belongs inside Mormonism. I think Brigham Young said that. I think that's uh, so right. The, yeah. the, the truth. I, so we, we say, OK, Brigham Young instituted a, uh, a ban on black black members of the church, mm-hmm. which was true from his point of view, because he was just yeah. a 19th century man of his time. So yeah. from his perspective, it was true. But now yeah. that we know better. It's not true anymore. So many truths mm-hmm. that we cling to depend on our point of view. But that's um, a lot of people don't find that to be very satisfying because what should have been true for Brigham Young and, and blacks in the priesthood back in the day mm-hmm. in the 1850s should be true today, shouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially since Brigham Young's favorite phrase to use following up anything, especially a like uh, policy or doctrine, like he would follow that up with this will always be so. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. Oh, he yeah. loves, he that. loves yes. that phrase. Yeah, especially with blood atonement. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. He, I, I mean, sorry, but he kind of uh dangs himself there. <laughs> yeah, he did that with blood atonement and he also did it with uh blacks and the and the priesthood. This will always be so. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, all the time. So he, he, I, yeah. <laughs> who are we believing here? Uh Brigham Young or Obi-Wan Kenobi? I it's mm-hmm. it's tough. That's a tough, that's a tough question. Who had the better hair? That's why I'm gonna go with. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Obi-Wan Kenobi without uh-huh. yep. he had Hollywood hair. Um, okay. So what about number three? Obi-Wan gives us the advice. Uh, yeah. A great leap forward often requires first taking two steps back. Um, I, I can go with that. Uh, I can, I can understand what Obi-Wan's saying, how the church is going to see that. Well, they, it seems like for every step forward, they take two steps back some in, in certain areas. Um, well, I mean, I, I, if you think back to like the Kirtland banking scandal where Joseph Smith started a bank and then yeah. um, it ended up defunct, everybody lost their money and mm-hmm. there was a huge uh, apostasy in Kirtland. What was that? 1830? Uh, yeah, 30, I think so. 1834 because uh, the, the, the tar and feathering incident was 1832. Okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, anybody that hasn't uh, wants a really wild ride, go and do some research into the Kirtland t- uh, times because the church doesn't give you a lot of uh, information about that period, but man, it was a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very wild. So I guess that was the two steps back because um, yeah. uh, because of really dishonest banking principles. Um, yeah. The church really lost a lot of members and um, yeah, almost uh, went out of business. Yeah, I mean, I, not not to spoil everything there, but it wasn't the angry anti-Mormon um, non-member mob that ran Joseph Smith out of Kirtland. It was the members. <laughs> So that does seem like a great leap forward requires first taking two steps back. Okay. Uh, what about yeah. like when uh, Joseph had the revelation that he was supposed to sell the uh, copyright to the Book of Mormon and he sent the people to Toronto and they yeah, came back right. and failed on the mission. So that would be like two steps back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that seems to, yeah, Obi-Wan's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, that that one fits. And, and you know, when we found out the DNA in the Book of Mormon, uh, the, the people, you know, in North and South America are 99.4% Asian and the last... Uh, 0.5% of them are from the Spanish conquistadors uh-huh. and like 0.000 of them are from Israel. I guess that would be like the yeah. two steps back. Yeah. That they have not found a drop of no. uh, Middle Eastern blood yet. No. So I guess that would be kind of like the two steps back. So you yeah, know, the sure. more that I think about this, Al, I, I think Obi-Wan is right on this one, that there okay. have been a lot of two steps back. There we go. You know, you know, the book of Abraham translation, the facsimiles that, you know, that's probably not just two steps back. That's probably, um, quite a few steps back. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's a hard one to reconcile. <laughs> yeah, that, we'll, we'll call that we'll call that a uh, we'll call that a football field going back. Okay, so I, I agree with Obi Wan here on on number three as well. Um, I, I don't know if we need to go through all of them because you know. I don't, uh, but number four is war tends to distort our point of view. If we sacrifice our code even for victory, we may lose that which is important for our honor. End quote. And what jumps to mind for this mm-hmm. is kind of like what wars, you know, what wars has the church really been involved with? Well, you had the Mormon war mm-hmm. um, back in, uh, what was that, 1837, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it says we may lose our honor. But if you think about the modern day um, conflicts that the church has been involved with, they're all hands on. If you think about when is the time that the church really said that they were in trouble in the last 50 years? When did they have an all hands on deck? We need member support. We need everybody on board. We need your help. Um, when was the time that that occurred in the last 50 years? It has occurred, to, from my perspective, exactly one time. And that would be the war that I'm thinking of here. Um, are we thinking the, the war on uh, Proposition 8? Yes, sir. Yep, that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. So out of all the things that the church could really fight, uh, gun violence, uh, abortion, uh, you know, human suffering, poverty, disease, yeah. global warming, the all hands on deck was the Proposition 8. So mm-hmm. it does seem like Obi-Wan is right. War tends to distort our point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like we may have lost that, which is important for, you know. And, and you know, the, the church has always loved war. I mean, ever since... Uh, its inception. Joseph Smith was big into wars. Uh, you know, there was the war of 1812 happened when he was uh, a kid and, you know, he was grew up hearing all the stories about the American revolutionary war from these guys that only had one eye and one arm left. And, you know, he was very much enthralled with, uh, soldiering and warfare and everything. Yeah, he was. Okay, uh, if we're going to get through this episode, we got to continue on. We've got so much to yes, get through. So right. much. Uh, w- w- let mention the last one. Um, which is uh, Utah hate crimes doubling. Uh, what was the, what was the number five on Obi-Wan's Gospel Truths? Oh, uh, uh, sorry, I closed it. The number wa- uh, on oh. Obi-Wan's... Um, sorry. Might not be important. Okay. <laughs> no, let's tell, we got it in the show notes if you want number five. But from, yep. what, from what we've gone through, it does seem like Obi-Wan Kenobi could have been an LDS prophet. Because remember, it mm-hmm. happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yep, certainly could have been. Okay, so I'm going to move on to uh, uh, the Utah hate crimes doubled this last year, okay? Um, this one was from kslnewsradio.com. Um, they had a huge, uh, and a lot of them target the LGBTQ community. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, for this one, uh, I've got a series here. Okay. So I'm going to give you a, a pretty quick, uh, rundown of what's going on in Utah with leading in certain areas and trailing in others. Okay. So, uh, first of all, let me read off this list of, um, this list of descriptions. Okay. I've got a huge uh, list of adjectives here. Diabolical, uh, sorry, diabolical blasphemy pervert, unnatural, abnormal, an affliction, immoral, impure, victim, under the control of Lucifer, weak, transgressor, evil, ridiculous, sinful, ugly, predator, sin of the ages, deceitful, abominable, detestable, crime against nature, malady, confused, degenerate, addict, unmanly, unseemly, desperate, diseased, helpless, promiscuous, enslaved, contaminate, Carnal, selfish, aggressive, brutal, abusive, violent, hopeless, corrupt, filthy, dreadful, unhappy, and counterfeit. 
These are descriptors that are used by church leaders to define homosexuality. Okay, so the LDS Church really trails in its exception of uh, or, or being LGBTQ friendly. And so, what does that have to do? Do you think Al with Utah hate crimes doubling last year? Uh, you've got a well. That's just it. It's like they doubled again, and most of them are against the LGBTQ community. That you've got attacks on. Uh, transgender people, homosexual people, bisexual people, uh, anybody that's non-binary, those are the people that are being targeted, and you see it double in a year. Especially when we're in a world where every year, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of Pride Month right now, the month of June. This is the time where people come out to shine and, you know, to, uh, you know, to be who they are and flaunt it and to find that acceptance. And uh, the church is very much against that kind of uh, behavior. They don't want the flamboyant behavior. They don't want people feeling comfortable being in their own skin. They want people to uh, conform and to be obedient. And that, you know, that that's how the church has always been. Yeah. And so, I mean, the rhetoric really matters. And yeah. so, you know, the, the Utah has a high percentage of uh, members of the church. And when you have rhetoric, as you discussed, that mm-hmm. uh, goes through those type of things, that really has a psychological impact on people. And has the church ever walked any of these back and said, you know what, we were in the wrong, we, or someone made a mistake, or we, you know, we apologize for that verbiage and we are going to be better in the future? Sure doesn't seem to be. In fact, if anything, they double down. I mean, it wasn't very long ago that we had um, Jeffrey R. Holland giving his musket talk and you know, we talked about that on our episode with Christina. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's not, unfortunately, it's not a surprise to me that Utah hate crimes double when you use that kind of rhetoric against those yeah. in the LGBTQ community. Exactly. That was a long list of uh, words and not a, not any of them were friendly. They were all yeah. pretty. If you go to Lattergate, I got that from org. Al. If you head over there and search for their on the record, uh, mm-hmm. they pulled out every all, all of those terms from, and they footnote them mm-hmm. and they put the, uh, you know, microfish in there. And you can see exactly yeah. when all of these terms were used against people. And, yeah. and it leads to, it leads to violence. It leads to uh, yeah. suicides. It, it really damages uh it really damages people. So yeah, you know, the, church, the so, church needs to do better. Yeah. And for, you know, I know that the church has uh, tried to come out and say, Oh, well, we're, uh, we're, um, what that we're being supportive or we, we love and support, uh, people like this, but how can you, how can you say that with this kind of hate speech? Yeah. Um, like- uh, c- continuing on, I've, I've got a kind of a rapid fire one. I'm going to get through these as quick as I can. So Utah, number one, or at least, yeah, number one, highest mental illness rate in the nation, okay? Um, the, all the articles for these are going to be down in the show notes. So the church is, um, you know, trailing behind support of the LGBTQ community, and it's, uh, you know, doubled its hate, uh, amount of uh, uh, hate crimes. It's got the highest mental illness rate in the nation, it's the last in women's equality four years a row, dead last, behind Mississippi, mind you. Um, Utah also ranks high in bankruptcy. So, I mean, some, t- some years it kind of goes between number one, number two, but it's always there in the top five. Um, you know, we've got also per capita. Utah has more multi-level marketing scams than any other state. And also a very high suicide rate. So we've got some really, uh, you know, here in the state of Utah, where I live, 
we've got a lot of people that are on the wrong side of things. Um, mental illness, sure. I mean, what co- we just talked about the uh, the hate crimes against LGBTQ. That's going to uh, certainly exacerbate mental illness. Getting your kids to conform rather than you know trying to help understand your kids. I mean, growing up's hard on everybody. There's tons of mental illness. I know that when I was growing up, it seemed like everybody was on Prozac at the time. It was, that was the big thing, the big antidepressant. Um, and, you know, there's tons of, there, there's always been a lot of mental health issues, but they don't really get addressed the way that I think that they should be. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, a third of people in Utah mm-hmm. have some kind of mental illness, which leads the nation. They lead the nation mm-hmm. in serious mental illness, mental yeah. health services, major depressive episodes, serious thoughts of suicide, yeah. plans made for suicide. They're, and they're also very mm-hmm. high. They don't lead the nation, but they're extremely high in suicide attempts and suicides in general. Yeah, they are Something for sure. is really wrong with the people in Utah. And I'm, I'm a, I'll mm-hmm. always consider myself, Alf, being from Utah. I lived there for mm-hmm. over 30 years. I'll always consider myself a Utahan. Yeah, that's fair. And then you wonder, how is it that the hate crimes are so high, that mental illness mm-hmm. is so high? Yeah. You know, this, this is my state. Why is women's equality mm-hmm. so low? Why, why does all this happen in the state where these are supposed to be members of the church. These are supposed to be, you know, the, the best people around. The best part about mm-hmm. the church, Al, is the people. And the people in the church are good people. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but then we also have it tied in with uh, high ranks of or high rates of bankruptcy and then the multi-level marketing <laughs> schemes. So there seems to be a lot of pressure to keep up with the Joneses, to keep up, you know, the appearance that I, you know, yeah, it, it, there is that, uh, what, uh, prosperity doctrine that gets talked about from time to time, that as long as you're on the Lord's side, he's going to prosper you. He's going to bless you with all kinds of money and wealth. Uh, so people like to become that kind of uh, uh, fulfillment of prophecy. So they'll live high on the hog, they'll buy the big flashy house high up on the hill though, and all of this while trying to, you know, figure out how they're going to pay for it and how they're going to leverage it, how they're going to fund it. And uh, sometimes they get overextended and they can't make the payments and bankruptcy. Uh, That's a really difficult thing for a lot of people to deal with. So yeah, I mean, more people in more people in Utah pay tithing as a percentage of per mm -hmm. capita than probably any other place in the world. So exactly. So so you got people who are trying to live higher on the hog with 10% less income because they, they automatically just send it to the church. Yeah. yeah. And, and that also goes into the multi-level marketing thing is because mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure for especially Mormon women to stay home. Yes, there is. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, they've got a lot of kids, but they need to contribute financially, especially in our modern day and age to, uh, you know, because income's... Uh, for sole breadwinners are not what they were back in the 70s oh. and the 80s. Yeah, our economy right now is not not very friendly to having one uh, parent stay at home. So this so is a hotbed for these multi-level marketings, and a lot of those things end up being scams. Exactly, uh, because they prey on the people. They're desperate, and these people, they're, they're desperate to make ends meet. So, you know, if I can keep up that appearance of, okay, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom while I'm making – enough money to bridge the gap between our expenses and our income, um, then why not? Uh, but um, unfortunately, it's very difficult to do. And yeah. a lot of people 
can't make it. That's why we have a huge uh, rate of bankruptcy. That's why we have a huge rate of mental illness, because with that failure comes a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of feelings of uh, uh, what uh, dejection, um, failure and, you know, uh, self-loathing like, oh, well, I'm not good enough now. And so depression comes in there, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a wonder that Utah has the highest mental illness rate in the nation, but a lot mm-hmm. of these people are members. They go and they have cancelings with their bishop or their state president regularly. Exactly. You would well, think that they would be uh, among the, the healthiest mental people because they are, have access to clergy uh, clergy counseling. They do, but uh, there's a difference between um, the Utah clergy and most other churches' clergy. And I'll say Utah because you know the LDS clergy. They're lay clergy. They have no training whatsoever in uh, psychotherapy or in psychology or uh, mental health. They have no training. They, they're just uh, said, well, go by the spirit. And well, going by the spirit usually means uh, just advise people to get more in line with the church and, you know, run, run faster, try harder. And, you know, that's that's how you're going to win this race is uh, is how as the advice people get when they, that there's no amount of try, uh, you know, effort that can get them out of the situation that they're in. Yeah. Honestly, you know, when I retire one day, you know, uh, the Utah will be high on my list to come back and visit or live or relocate when I eventually do retire. And I you know I saw Utah hate crimes doubling Utah's high mental illness rate in the nation, yeah. last inequality, mm-hmm. high in bankruptcy, lots of multi-level marketing scams, very high suicide rate. Yeah. I think this is my home state. This is where all of the members of the church is a high concentration. Mm-hmm. In fact, as we pointed out at Elder Bednar's last speech, a lot of p- members of the church, especially active and faithful ones, are moving to Utah. So the concentration yeah. of active members in Utah is actually getting stronger, but mm-hmm. all of the, the the criteria that you would expect to go along with that are trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, they sure are. Um, not to mention, like we said, that women or Utah's last in women's equality four years in a row. No wonder that mental health problems are, are through the roof. You know, yeah. this is yeah, th- this is for a church that keeps saying, oh, we, we value our women above everything else. We value women so much that we won't even allow them to have the priesthood, you know, because that's, that, you know, they should never have to open their own door, should never have to push in their own chair. Uh, you know, this is like, well, stop putting people on a pedestal because really all you're doing is just keeping them down. Yeah, so it's pretty sad to see some of these stats. And um, unfortunately, I don't see that they're going to be reversed anytime in the future. I, I don't know no. how. To, these are really, really systemic, really thorough uh, problems that are not going to be solved with some latest social issue that comes out of the legislature and a couple no. million dollars. No, not a, not a one of them. This is, this is all a big mess. That it's going to take a long time to get it figured out. And uh, we need to start at least taking a step in the right direction. And I'm still waiting to see that. Yeah. Okay. We got two last articles to go through. Um, uh, We're trying to keep this to an hour and a half. And that's our next article here is from Latter-day Saint Mag. And it was uh, published on June 4th, 2022. Um, And Latter-day Saint Mag is part of the Meridian magazine, which is like another one of these uh, Deseret News type of LDS living type of uh, articles. And this is this was written by Joel Campbell. And it says, "Why, why the new trendy way to pay tithing undermines the spiritual power of tithing that that the spiritual power that tithing promises so al are you aware that there is a new trendy way to pay tithing you know uh when you when we were looking over this i thought oh uh, what is it uh, venmo 
<laughs> well, there actually is a kind of a Venmo, Al, because um, l- let me tell you that there is a way to pay tithing. There used to be that you'd have to put it in an envelope and give it to the bishop. Mm-hmm. But some members who might be exceptionally wealthy or even poor, they felt uncomfortable because they didn't want their bishop to know, hey, I'm actually a millionaire. I just didn't want anybody to know or I'm worth a lot mm-hmm. of money mm-hmm. or likewise so that I'm really poor. I'm embarrassed about it. Yeah. So they they made a way that you can send your tithing straight to Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. uh, bypassing your bishop, <clears throat> and uh, basically sending it through Zelle. So there is kind of a way to do that uh-huh. now, but that's not what this new trendy way of doing it. So let me let me review what this new trendy way of paying tithing mm-hmm. is, and let's uh, get your reaction here. Okay. Uh, from the article, it says there's a new troubling trend emerging, promoting promoted by a national Latter Day Saint columnist and others with large followers on social media. It's becoming trendy in some circles to take on this approach as acceptable alternatives to paying tithing, and it's called trendy tithing. So here's what you do to pay trendy tithing, Al. Here's the argument. Quote, because I have determined in my own mind that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has such a large amount of wealth, and that bothers me. I'm going to take my 10% tithing elsewhere to other causes that I decide need my contribution, and the church has enough resources, and they won't miss my measly contributions anyway, end quote. Mm-hmm. That's trendy tithing, Al. Wow! So bypass the church altogether. Do you think that's going to uh, catch on? Um, you know, I, I kind of hope it does because I, I at least feel like that. That way, you get more. Um, you see more benefit from the tithing that you pay, uh, rather than just handing ten percent of your hard-earned cash over to a multi-billion-dollar church. Yeah, so um, we covered this in last week with Elder Bednar's uh, address. Uh, Elder mm-hmm. Bednar was asked, uh, what, what about tithing? And uh, did he, he responded about whether the church needs your tithing. What did he say, Al? He said the church doesn't need your tithing. And, you know, I've heard this a couple of times uh, from people that have gone to Salt Lake and asked for help from the church. And the church says, we don't need your tithing. No, nope, well, they don't. But, you know, but that's kind of the crux of it is in order to get to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, you have to be temple going. Uh, you have to have temple recommend, so you have to pay tithing in order to get into the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. Right. So okay. the church doesn't need your tithing, but you need to pay your tithing to the church is the message that I'm seeing here. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, the thing about it is, is when you strip out the fast offerings, as we covered in uh, two episodes ago, the church last year contributed in their humanitarian report. If you minus out the fast offerings, which mm-hmm. is just a pass through, church contributed about $56 million to humanitarian. Yeah. Now the church has 17 million or 17.5, 18 million members. So the church is contributing $3 per member per year in humanitarian causes. Yeah. That's not a lot of money. No, it's not. That's, and when you uh, consider that there's a, a several uh, billionaires who are members of the church who do give a full mm-hmm. tithing. Yeah. That should be weighing out. I mean— yeah, some people don't have any money, and some people live on two dollars a day, and they're not going to be paying. But if you if you put that in with the Huntsmans, if you put it in with the Marriotts, if you put it in with the rest of these uh, big time billionaires, we should be seeing a huge uh, output here. And so, what the trendy tithing people are saying is, you know, three dollars a year for my contribution—that's um, I'm uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And especially since yeah. the church has told me flat out, David Bednar, we don't need your tithing. Well, I feel like I still should give charitable contributions, but I want to do it in, in an organization that. Uh, is actually using it to alleviate human suffering and to help the people on this planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's how most people feel on on the personal individual level. Mm-hmm. Is you know, I feel a, a lot of people feel well. I'm one, just one person. What can I do? But 
you know, that, uh, especially when it comes to a multi-billion dollar church, that, you know, what can I do compared to them? You know, well, I'll tell you what I can do is I can take the 10% of my income that I was giving to this church and, and of which they're given a small fraction of that to noble causes. I can actually go directly to those noble causes and I can hand that cash myself and it can be the full 10%, not just a small fraction of it. Yeah, and also when you give it to a lot of those other organizations, they have uh, transparency. You can see, hey, this is how much money this nonprofit, if you give it to like the one drop, which gives clean water to people, they publish an annual, you know, financials that says, you know, we brought in this much, we gave out this much, and our overhead was like two, three percent or whatever the the number, the number is. That's how much we for marketing and, you know, pay a few executives and things like that. So you get the transparency, you know that your money is going to help someone who is in need. And you don't yeah. get that from the church, and that rubs people, some people, the wrong way. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, it certainly, uh, I was, I, I'm not the only one that feels that way. It, there's a lot of people that feel that way for sure. I think you're going to see it more and more. Um, I think so, especially, too. Especially if we get more of these statements from uh, people like uh, Elder Bednar, who flat out say that the church doesn't need your tithing. Yeah. Um, I think people are going to get the message that, okay, it doesn't sound like the church does need my tithing, and if they don't need it, I'll give to someone who does. Yeah, understandably so. Um, but but I th- I'm sure that the church will continue to uh, be preaching it. You need to continue paying tithing. Oh, I'm certain they will, even though Joseph F. Smith back in 1906 said that he envisioned as president of the church, he said he envisioned a day when the church would not need tithing anymore because the bishop's storehouses would be plenty full. And you know what? We've seen the fulfillment of that prophecy. You know, we don't, we don't get a lot of prophecies from presidents to the church. And, but we got one fulfilled last week when President Joseph F. Smith's uh, prophecy in 1906 came true. When David mm-hmm. Elder Bednar said that the church does not need your tithing anymore, we have finally reached the time when the church has finally acknowledged that that prophecy has come to pass. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Hey, we're on to our last uh, last article, and we saved the best for last. Mm-hmm. Um, here we go. The fi- the finale is out, and so. Um, I don't know if I want to put out spoiler alert right there, but I'm sure that a lot of people have already seen it. Uh, and I don't know that I'm even going to be spoiler spoiling anything, but we'll put it up there anyway, just in case, because this is the final episode of Under the Banner of Heaven. Um, this is the end. They're not going to make a, a second season or anything. This is where it's all wrapped up. And it it leaves a lot of people feeling like it's falling short. Um, you know, I've uh, read over a couple of uh, uh, different things here. One uh, was uh, Facebook from, uh, sorry, it was uh, Jim Bennett, I believe. Yeah, yeah, let me go over that Jim Bennett one here real quick. But will you okay. give us a sum- summary of what, uh, give us a brief summary okay. of what happened in the final episode. Okay, so in the final episode, um, we do get to the actual murder of Brenda. And so the whole uh, series is played out with a lot of flashbacks and a lot of scene changes where you go back and see what Brenda was pursuing, what her life was like and what was going on in the struggle between her and the Lafferty brothers. Uh, here we got, we get to see the Lafferty's have finally come fully unhinged. It's all off the hook and you've got a battle between Ron and Dan Lafferty for who's going to be in charge again. I mean, we've got this fundamentalist mentality where they've, uh, they're, they're fighting back and forth between, oh, well, which one is the one mighty and strong? And then you get even more flashbacks with the Mountain Meadows Massacre uh, and the, 
the um, the Paiute Nation and their involvement, which their involvement, um, I'm inclined to believe what um, the uh, what Taba said that the Paiute people were probably tricked into it and decided to uh, to, to change their mind because that seems to be the way that it, it played out. Is they tried to get the Paiutes to do their dirty business for them. And the Paiute gave it an attempt and then said, mm, no, these people, we don't have any fight with these people. And they left. So then the Mormon, uh, you know, militia people were there to follow it up and, and finish off the murder. Um, and then we get to, to see a glimpse of probably the best portrayal of John Taylor, the third president of the church that I've ever seen. Um, this historic flashback shows him talking about, you know, it, we're, we can't exist in the United States openly practicing polygamy. So, you know, the principle of polygamy will have to go underground. And at some future day, one mighty and strong will arise to restore the church to the truth and bring out polygamy to, to the open again. Um, so you get a lot of information here. Um, it's not very friendly to the church, this information. But um, some of it's true, and yet um, you've also got the the full come apart of Jeb, the uh, the main character who is fiction fictional. Um, and I sat at the end of watching this whole uh, this whole season and thinking, this is uh, this is very um, revealing about Dustin Lance Black's. Uh, experience with the Mormon church. And I think that Jeb is a good metaphor for him, but I, I just, I have to decide with Brenda's sister that we read about. Was her name Sharon weeks? I think. Um, yeah, yeah, she, she said this was, you know, not about Brenda at all. And she's right. It's not, this was a a man, a mansplaining version of Brenda's life. And it was sad. I mean, they really could have uh, done this from any of the female perspectives in there. There's loads of women in here. You could have done it from, you know, Ma Lafferty. You could have done it from Brenda herself. You could have done it from Brenda's sister or Diana, a very dynamic character in this uh, in this yep. show. Yep. You could have done it from his, uh, even the uh, dementia-riddled mother of Jeb. <laughs> you know, g- give, it, give us a little bit of female perspective rather than just well, female characters in a very male-dominated rendition of a very sad tragedy that ended a mother and her infant daughter's life. Yeah. So, um, the biggest question for me is: at the end, did you feel like uh, Jab? You know, did you feel like he was still a believer, or did you feel like he wasn't a believer anymore? I think uh, I think a lot of people that have left the church will identify strongly with Jab. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he's a very relatable character, um, yeah. specifically the end of season or of episode six, you know, where he's sitting in the car bawling because he's found out that, you know, the church he thought he understood and knew so well all along is completely different than what he has found it to be. Um, and also the end of season seven or episode seven where he stands there uh, at the this beautiful panoramic view of a valley with a river running through it with his mother. 
Yeah. And his mother just uh, stands there next to him and says, oh, what a beautiful gift from Heavenly Father. And he looks at her and says, well, I think uh, it's miracle enough just to be standing right here with you. you know? And yeah. she says, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you know, yeah. sort of thing. And that's uh, that's kind of how this show played out at the end. And, you know, with the fictional characters, it, it, uh, I think a lot of people can associate with that. Can, can I don't know. I, I don't think that Jeb is still believing, but I think he's found a way of living with the church. And this, the same way a lot of people do is they find a way to make it make sense to them. They, even if the church isn't true, they're just going to try to find the best that they can in it and go with that for the sake of their marriage, for the sake of their family, for the sake of kids. And, you know, yeah. and that's a, a difficult struggle. Um, some people can do it for a while, but I don't think very many people have been able to do it for very long. Yeah, um, because what that means is you you stop living an authentic life. Yeah. Now, um, that, that was a pretty good summary. Um, I, I would say that I agree once again with Jim Bennett, who is the kind of the famous Mormon apologist. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I saw his tweets on the first episode, and I didn't revisit them until this last episode. But I was in agreement generally with him in the first episode mm -hmm. and yeah. the last. And I just want to read his final conclusion. He reviewed every single episode. And I thought his analysis was pretty good. He's a pretty smart cookie. And here's what he said on his mm -hmm. final tweet on Facebook or Facebook post. He said, quote, look, I get it that people who have left the church feel very protective of this show. And I have no problem with anyone who wants to find value or resonance here. If you're one of those people, more power to you. Just know that the validation comes at the expense of Brenda Lafferty and her surviving family, whose wounds have been torn open afresh to give you something fun to watch. Thank Heavenly Father, there will be no season two, end quote. I think that pretty much sums it up for me as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had, I had high hopes for this show. Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad show. I think he did a good job with it. Um, you know, from a, a I think from a, a disinterested third party, people will watch this and find it to be very amusing and entertaining. Uh, amusing is probably not the right word, but probably interesting because I, it's true crime, right? Uh, people that are into true crime, they're going to love this. But people that um, are looking for historical uh, biography, uh, they take some. There's plenty of liberties they're taking with it. Um, it, it doesn't play out as uh, authentic. I, they, they do some good efforts um, to to show it um, for what life was like back in the 1984 Utah. It just uh, it, it's not. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that, uh, anybody who is in the church will really appreciate this at all. I think most people in the church, if they're going to appreciate any particular, uh, episode, it's going to be episode six. Um, yeah, I thought that yeah. that was, uh, I thought episode one and episode six followed by episode yeah. seven was the best episodes. Yeah, for sure. Um, episode six had some of the most dynamic yeah. and most powerful Yes. Uh, dialogue that I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I think yeah, episode six, show. if you only watch one episode, that's the one to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, uh, we are going to be leaving this miniseries, obviously, because it's over. But next week, Al, um, we're going to start be starting mm -hmm. up a new miniseries, and it's called Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. 
And this is basically a mini series that has four episodes that is going to be following the world of the fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because that's one of uh, Warren Jeff's uh, famous sayings is keep sweet, pray and obey. That basically yeah. means that he brokers. Uh, he said that especially to women mm-hmm. that he brokers no, uh, you know, no, no dissent. So four part yeah. documentary about the uh, this is what this is the tagline of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep sweet, pray and obey Netflix four part documentary about the ultra creepy religious cult headed by child rapist Warren Jeffs, and it debuts on June 8th, 2022. So we're going to bring you the first episode of that next week. So that's something for you to look forward to. And Al, also yeah. next week, we got mm-hmm. a special guest host. I think I got a 90% commitment from a very famous podcaster and YouTuber. Do we? Who's going to be joining us uh, next week to ruminate on the Great and Spacious Beehive. And I'll mm-hmm. give you a hint. He's never been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but he probably knows more about the church than both of us combined. Now that's exciting. That's this is somebody I'm excited to to meet yeah. and talk with. And so hopefully we got this. Hopefully we got him next week. Uh, so our listeners, you're not going to be disappointed. So it should be a really yeah. good, uh, really good episode. And also we are thinking about uh, before we sign off here, we're thinking about turning this uh, podcast more into a YouTube episode with webcams, um, where you'd be able to see your humble hosts here, and also we'll be able to share some media on our screens with you, which might be useful uh, to be able to appreciate, for instance, the parable of the hardened bread. Yeah, for sure. Because, well, I, and I do have to give you guys a fair warning. I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, maybe even then in the future, we hope to have a Mormon News Roundup live on Sunday nights. We're thinking 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we'll be able to do the show live, have um, some chat uh, underneath on, on YouTube, uh, broadcast it live on YouTube with webcams, mm-hmm. show our screens so sure we can show the stuff, have some chat underneath. Mm-hmm. And maybe even have some uh, live audience interactions with the, the with the chat. This is what we're hoping to do. We don't know if we're going to be yeah. able to do that, uh, but that is our hopeful goal. Maybe sometime in the future. Yeah, we're definitely open to tossing ideas around. So, you know, if you have any suggestions, speak up. We'd love to talk to you about them. Yep, drop us a drop us a line over at mormonnewsroundup.org. And uh, I want to thank my uh, co-host Al for ruminating on the spacious great and beehive. And thanks so much for being here. And uh, join us again next week. It's been a pleasure as always, Dives. We'll play you out with uh, our weird Alma again. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.